All right, glad you're here with us this morning. Today is a good day to worship together, and thanks to Daryl and for all the team that puts together our budget every year, and, and it's good to know where we're headed, and they do a great job. Truly, that is what you call behind-the-scenes work they do, and so we are so thankful for what, what they do. At the first service this morning, our lights wouldn't work, so we only had a few lights working, and so it was like, oh, maybe we didn't pay the light bill, so if we give more, then they'll come on. So whatever happened, the first service really gave a lot because we've got our lights back. So glad that you're here with us here this morning to worship. And last night and Friday night were great nights here. So many, many of you helped. Matter of fact, about 100 people helped with our what we call glory, our walkthrough to see the, the story of the, of the birth of Jesus and then to share with folks about how it's not just about the birth. That's just the beginning or really just the middle, I guess, maybe you might say, of Jesus' life and, and because he lived before he was born and to, to know that they could come back and be here and learn so much more about him. It was great having our community here. You know, it's kind of scary how our world is changing. There are about a third of the people in the United States these days don't believe in a virgin birth anymore. At one point, probably you would have heard 98% believe, but a third don't believe anymore. In the last 10 years, the number of people who call themselves Christians, I mean broadly, people who call themselves Christians in the United States has gone down 12%. That's really kind of scary. And the more that we can tell the story of Jesus and have people come and see that we're real and we're not, we're not weird, at least some of us aren't, and that we're just regular people that love him and want to share the story and we believe in Jesus. What an important thing that is. And so I'm so thankful that you helped and when you give, you help so that things like that can happen. We are on our last lesson today of thoughts from the thicket, and we have quite a thicket back here. And so this is the last one, and I'll do some others later, but we need to stop for a little while thinking about these things. But I could not end on these lessons that I've given you from different spots in Pennsylvania that we had to talk about the Gettysburg Address. So today we're talking about the way it should be, but for a minute about the Gettysburg Address. Now, we have a lot of folks who are not from the United States that are part of this congregation, so you may not know what I'm talking about. This may be new or something you've heard. We also have several people that did not pay attention in history class, so you may not know either. But Gettysburg was one of the worst, what you might say, most significant and worst battles in the history of the Civil War. Happened July 1st through July 30th in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, or just on the outskirts as well as in the, in the little small town of Gettysburg. There were, there were 7,000 people killed in those three days. There were 50,000 casualties in just three days. And perhaps what makes it even worse is they were people who just three years earlier would have called each other countrymen and brothers and well even that brother thing is a scary thing because there were brothers against brothers and fathers against sons and we realize that that the issues they were talking about were big issues we know that slavery was a part of that but there was even much more than just slavery as an issue we understand there were significant issues going on and I had that opportunity to be at Gettysburg, like many of you have. It is an incredible piece of land. It feels like what we sometimes call a hallowed piece of land. 
And you go and see that battlefield and you see the cemetery where those bodies are laying now. Abraham Lincoln went there. That battle was in July. He went there on November 19th, as you may remember from history, and he gave a speech. Now, there was a speech before him. Everett was a man who gave the speech before him. It lasted two hours. Some of you have studied this before and know that nobody remembers anything Everett said, and even he said what Lincoln stated was really, really significant, that Lincoln got to the heart of things. But they wanted to go and somehow memorialize folks there and so the president showed up on that day he rode in his rode in uh, a train to get there and he took out two pieces of paper somewhere on time on the train that were about the size of an envelope and he wrote down 272 words on that piece of paper not very many words you know some of the words he said you at least know how it started four score and seven years ago our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the pro proposition that all men are created equal now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure it's a passage that some of you memorized in school by the time I got to school, we only memorized the first few lines. Some of you memorized all of it. Well, as I was there, you don't see the actual speech. You know, they don't have the original at Gettysburg. But you can go out to the field where he spoke, where hundreds of people came that day. But what touched me so much was inside the museum itself. And like all museums, it seems like you kind of wander around and they have things on the wall. And there was one particular small room that has a bit about the Gettysburg Address. And you see things here and you see things here. And you also see things here. There are pictures and there are inscriptions and there are, there are accounts of what happened on that day. And as I was standing there reading those things, I really can't explain to you what happened to me. It, it, I didn't cry. It wasn't I was crying. But I had to leave. I had to get to another room. And what was going on in my head was, it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be that brothers are killing brothers. It's not supposed to be this way. But surely... What everyone thinks whenever they live through war or they really study war deeply, it's not supposed to be like that. But the Bible tells us the way it's supposed to be, what Christians are supposed to be like. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, this is what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write, right after the verses you just heard. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now this is the way it should be. This is it right here. 
that we care for our enemies. That somehow when we do care for them, they're overwhelmed by what we're doing because nobody else does that. He's talking about specifically within the church between brothers and sisters, but this is everywhere. This is the way we should be. Now, some of you probably picked up on a little caveat that was in the middle of that passage and, and said, well, live it in peace as far as it is with you. Right. Some won't let us live in peace. You know that, right? Some of you may be small business owners. Maybe you do your business as fairly as you know how. You do your work. You do the right thing. Try to have a fair price for people. Maybe you've been at your job, and one day while you were there and you thought it was just a regular Tuesday, all at once someone comes in and they say, are you so-and-so? And you say, yes, I am. And they hand you some papers, and you find out right then you are in the middle of a lawsuit, and you did not see that coming. Sometimes... You can't stop what other people do. Sometimes people misunderstand or misconstrue maybe what we say when we had the best of intentions and all at once you feel like you are in a war with someone. Sometimes if someone is out to get you, maybe because, maybe because of your race, maybe because of your economic status, you have too much or too little, maybe it's because they just don't like you, because they... they they think you're better looking than they are, or whatever it is. Sometimes we encounter people who, for whatever reason, want to drag us into a war with them. They want to fight. So, live at peace as well as, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with other people. You see, our response should be different when people do things to us. When they are shooting their flamethrower at us, we shouldn't respond like the rest of the world does because we have God who's going to give wrath to, to those folks, right? So we respond differently. Matter of fact, we confuse them because we give them food and drink and water and take care of them in a different way than maybe they knew before. Our response should be different than what the world's response is. Now, my guess is some of you have said, hey, remember the armor of God? And we like to talk about that, especially men sometimes, you know, Roman soldiers and think about all the, you know, all the stuff that they wore, all the armor they wore. You can find that in the Bible in, in uh, Galatians or Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 17 that talks about the armor of God, for example. And you have the helmet of salvation and you have that, that, that breastplate of, of, of faith and you have all those different things you wear. And all that, you know, it's great, and we talk about, talk about that. But have you ever realized that all of those things that you wear are considered defensive rather than offensive? Now, there is a sword, right? Somebody's saying, yeah, the sword. But this word that he uses for the sword is not the regular long sword, you would imagine. But the word for sword he uses there is something that's really small. Matter of fact, the way, the way scholars put it in the day to describe what it looked like, they said, they said short enough to cut fruit, long enough to do damage. <laughs> so you have it with you. And so it's only if someone were like attacking you, would you use it? And you would use it, but only if they were like right on top of you, would you use it? You would never say, charge with this little sword that you were given because it was short, much shorter than what we imagine. And so all those things were given is defensive, and so it's a little bit different. 
And then he says in the very beginning, I wish we had time to go through all of this, but we don't today because you all want to eat lunch and all those things I know, so we're only going through little highlights. He says, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome good, evil with good. Now, I am not trying to say here that it's wrong to, it's wrong to arm wrestle. If you want to, you can. I just thought it was a good picture for what I was illustrating here. In the book of Ephesians, we're going to look at Ephesians a few times today. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 26, in the beginning of that verse, it says, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Now you say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? In your anger, there will be times you are angry. It is okay to be angry. The problem is the response to the anger. When you see an injustice done, when someone has hurt a child, you should be angry, so to speak, with a righteous anger toward that. If you see someone hurt someone or, 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 or somehow hurt, hurt an individual in your family or on the street or whatever, that should make you angry. But the response to that is what's important. God wasn't trying to say to you, oh, you can't have any emotions. It's wrong to have emotions. No, of course not. Of course you're going to have emotions. We all do. But how we respond in our anger is what is so important, that we hold ourselves together, that we leave it to God. These days it's so easy to cause a fight. It's so easy to to get people into into an argument. And it's so easy to write things these days on social media of all different types and get people going. You realize that there are even those bots out there that are that literally make statements in order to make you mad and you to write back to it. That's what it's all about. Everyone wants to be angry. Everyone, it seems like, wants to cause chaos. That is not who we were called to be as Christians. Who we were called to be as Christians were different. We should treat our enemy with dignity. If our enemy holds out the fist ready to fight, we should be there ready to show a handshake. To say, I'm here as your friend. I'm here as one that wants to get along, not one that wants to fight. We're not the ones causing the problems, but yet we want to be the solution to problems. If you only go away with one little line today that you remember, I hope you remember this little line that I'm about to say. I can't win people to Christ if I fight like the devil. If I am using the devil's tactics, there is no way that other people are going to be one to Jesus. Sometimes, I am so zealous for the Lord that I tear people down, I rip them apart, I take, I, I, I take advantage of, of, of their vulnerability, and that is wrong. If we do those kinds of things, no one is going to be one to Jesus. Over the years, just like you, I've asked people who have been faithful Christians and have left their faith and walked away and said, tell me, why did you walk away? What is it? It's hardly ever there's, well, I quit believing like that. Instead, it goes back to, let me tell you about what a leader did at my congregation. Let me tell you about what this Christian person did in that church. And it almost always goes back to someone doing something that offended them to the point that they walked away from their faith completely. They'll say, if that is what represents Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. Well, what's interesting is usually I can agree with them. That doesn't represent Christianity. You need to come back. 
Because what that person did is not what Jesus would have done. But I cannot treat people in a low-down way. I can't call them names. I can't, I can't belittle them. I can't make them feel bad. If I do those kinds of things, I am fighting like the devil. And that is not what wins people to Jesus. I have got to treat people in a way that they respond positively. It is about winning people to Christ. It is not about winning arguments then in 1 John chapter 4, John says some things that seem pretty hard here. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's pretty strong, isn't it? I've gone over this phrase in, in my head and studies over the years, and this idea of a person says, forever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have, have not seen. And I've always wondered, what, what does that mean? Because I would think, yeah, I can love God, but I just don't like that person. I hate that person. Why would there be a difference there? I think I realize why. Because they love a God that they have created, not the real God. You see, the true God also loves that person that you find despicable. The true God loves everybody. The true God does not approve of a whole lot of stuff, but he still loves us he still cares for us he still wants us and so that's what i think he's saying what he's saying here anyone who loves god must also love their brother and sister now you some of you know i write lots of notes in my bible and lots of things uh, kind of for posterity but one of the things that for my children not for anybody else but one of the things in this passage that made me laugh i put on the screen today that i had next to this verse about loving your brother and sister is love the person even when you don't like them yeah, you know what I'm talking about? The reason I put that is you understand that sometimes there will be people you don't just get along with, but we don't wish evil on anybody. But isn't this hard sometimes not to wish evil on someone? We all feel that way sometimes. Let me give you kind of a silly example. If you've been coming here for a while, every once in a while it comes out that I love Oklahoma football. OU is my team, been my team all my life. My dad went to Oklahoma State, so he made me an OU fan, so he'd have someone to argue with. So I've just always been a fan. And last year, some of you know this that know football, I'm not going to get too deep in it, but the coach from Oklahoma left and went to USC because of a great big contract. And I try to understand that, but he took like all these incredibly great players with him. And one of them was the quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy last night, not wearing the right uniform. These things can get under your skin, you know what I mean? 
But I am a very, I try, even when I watch football, I try to be nice, you know, and look, you know, I'm not, not harboring any ill will or anything against anybody. Well, a week or two ago was the championship game for, uh, in the Pac-12 for the conference, USC versus Utah. I didn't even know Utah had a football game until last week, but they became my favorite team for one night. Let me tell you. So we're watching that game. Barbara's kind of on her phone, watching a little bit and on her phone. And all at once, I am like, ha, 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 Every time Utah scored, yes, ha, ha, ha. And she'd say, that's not like you. I said, I know, I shouldn't. I, I, what am I thinking? It's not like me. Yeah, I should not have, have ill will toward them. And then that quarterback, Caleb Williams, he got sacked. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, that's a silly example, but you also understand the point of not wishing ill will on other people. You might want them to learn a lesson, but you don't want evil for them. Love the person. Don't hate people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, inspired again by the Holy Spirit, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And then he went on and said, this is who Christ is. He emptied himself and became nothing for us. One time I was, well, not more than once, but in one specific time I was talking to someone saying, hey, we need to be like Jesus. And the person said, look, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Well, we aren't Jesus, but guess what Jesus told us to do? He said, be just like me. Don't have selfish ambition. Don't be conceited. Rather, value people. Put people highly. Treat them. Treat them with dignity. Treat them valuably. Even when it sometimes may hurt a little bit because we're working through it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Then he goes on in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And he says this, the Apostle Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what that passage does not say? It doesn't say... After we got ourselves together, Christ died for us. It does not say, after I quit smoking, drinking, chewing, and going with girls who do, or whatever that thing does, Christ died for us. It's not what it says. When I was still pitiful, Christ died for me. So it's not like I have to expect something out of someone in order to love them. I love them anyway. Jesus died for us even before we were saved. Do you realize that? He died for us so we would be saved, but before we were saved. So here's some relationship goals. Some of you like, like little lists. Here's a little list for you today. First of all, I will do all possible to live at peace. As far as it depends on me, as the Bible says, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with all people. Number two, very similar. I will not be the cause of conflict. 
I don't want to be the cause. I don't want to cause a person to stumble. I don't want to be a person that hurts someone else. I will not be the cause of conflict. If you have a problem with me, you have a problem with me, but I don't, I'm not going to add fuel to that fire. I don't want to do something that hurts it, that hurts you or, some, or somehow makes this bigger. Number three, I will treat others like I've been treated by God. I'll treat others like I've been treated. And then number four, I'll go the extra mile. Remember what Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, you're asked to go one mile, go two. So I'll go the extra mile. Number five, I will be willing to confront when needed, but always with love. Not if I confront you, I'm not going to call you a bunch of names. At least I pray I wouldn't. But I'll confront when needed. And I want to spend a little time on this. We've studied this before, but Matthew 18 talks about how we deal with problems specifically in the church. And so one of the things that it talks about, that he talks about is, we shouldn't go around gossiping, telling everybody else and getting a whole bunch of people together in order to start a coup. That's not how you do things. Instead, when I have a problem with my brother, according to Matthew chapter 18, is I or sister, I go to them alone, then I go with someone else with them, and then finally you take it to the church. So, if someone, if I'm mad at someone, and I'm running around telling everybody, did you hear, did you hear, sending out a letter to people, whatever, did you hear, did you hear, I become as sinful as the person that I'm talking about. Because I'm not handling it the way Jesus told me to handle it. So, I have to be willing to confront when needed, but always do so with love. Now, Always, when I do a sermon like this, someone afterwards will say, hey, uh, what are you talking about? What's happening? What's going on? Nothing is happening. That's the good thing. This is about being proactive. This sermon is coming now because I went to Gettysburg, okay? But I want to be a person that looks like Jesus in all aspects of my life. I like the way in Ephesians it says it again. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. Wow. Not some effort. Not effort for a while. You know, effort has become a verb these days. They say on, when they're trying to get a, someone on the radio, you know, that's remote, they'll say they're efforting. Whatever, however you want to say this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I will not be one that causes friction, one that, that causes problems in unity. I will stand for truth. I will stand for truth and, and say what truth is. And if that causes conflict, I don't want it to. But if it does, I will stand for truth. Not to go after someone or something, but to stand for what God wants. And then finally, how can I, be, how can I help the peace process? What is it I can do to be part of that process where God is honored and God is magnified? Today, maybe some of you need to be baptized into Jesus. We've had a lot of folks baptized this year. It's great. Not only people here, but several people in the prison ministry that, that you help support, many people there have been baptized also. Those are good things, great things. And maybe you're there. You need to have your sins washed away and in its place receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe 
You just need prayers. This whole group will pray for you. If you want to come forward, the whole group will. Sometimes that feels a little bit uncomfortable. So you can write to elders at mcoc.org. Tell them if you want it public or private. They'll pray for you privately, or if you want it public, they'll, they'll let the church know, and we'll pray for you. Come this morning as we stand and sing.